What do you like about sex? What defines your sexuality? How do you express your sexuality? Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about sex, self-esteem, and body awareness for those with chronic illness and disability. Our host, Monica Michelle, is joined by award-winning psychotherapist and sex therapist, Dr. Phillips. If you need a break from COVID, we are here for this. <laughs> All of us staying home, there's a lot of people having some fun. Yes, people are having to get creative in their homes right now. That's one of the things that is coming up in my therapy sessions with my clients is, what are you doing to keep yourself busy? What are you doing to keep yourself sexy? <laughs> Folks that have chronic illness and disability that usually have low sexual desire since this whole thing started and they are in their homes more, they have found like a little bit of peak with sexual desire. Wow. How to get creative with sex, how to get creative with yourself during this time. Virus or no virus, these are the things that come up in the world of being a, a sex therapist that specializes in chronic illness and disabilities. The thing about chronic illness and disabilities, we're all so primed for this experience. We've been home, most of us, for quite a bit of time anyway. I always joke that my sweats are my spoonie lingerie. That's really like amping it up. It's yoga pants. Like that is that is a special anniversary night is yoga pants with the off-the-shoulder sweatshirt instead of the full introvert hoodie. It is definitely hot up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So what different things can you wear in your spoonie gear? You know, we have so many bandages. There are so many options. You can go full fifth element if anyone's old enough to remember that movie and do the bandage. Oh, yeah, sure. You can definitely go into bondage with that stuff. It's, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can get creative with bondage gear. You know, maybe you can put some leather on too. It's one of the things that have been coming up in my work that people that have chronic pain due to their chronic illness or just chronic pain conditions are using different ways to cope with their pain. And one of the things that's coming up in the research are looking at how people are engaging in BDSM behavior to cope with good pain versus bad pain. That is freaking fascinating. How yeah. people are distracting themselves and focus on being whipped, doing some flogging, of course, light impact, and how people are really gaining a sense of relief, but also a sense of power. As a kink-aware and polyamorous-aware therapist, I see a lot of different types of clients that are kinky and they're poly and they also have disability, chronic illness. And those are the things that come up. It's a good way to distract themselves. It's also a way to have some control and power because with an illness, you don't have that. Control yeah. definitely seems like a theme in what, what you had written in your show notes about. And that's fascinating. Yes. So control, being able to hold control and how you feel and being able to switch up your roles in the bedroom. So it's interesting. A lot of my clients that have chronic pain, chronic illness, they will engage and be in the role of a dom or in BDSM culture. You call it a top. If you're a top, you're more of the dom. If you're a bottom, you're more of the sub. And so being able to take those controls and to be able to do something different, to distract yourself, it's like playing a role or something. And of course, consensual and all of that. But it's a nice relief for people. It's a nice way to be able to cope with pain in a different way. People explore this, like someone who is not familiar with these, or their only familiarity is like some of the books that have come out lately. How do you help people 
Well, there's a lot of different online resources. In DC, we have the Black Rose Community Group where they have meetings. There's a local dungeon here in DC where people can go and they have Dungeon 101 and they teach you everything about it. I refer a lot of folks to that. I try to refer people to some books, but if they really want to have the experience and if they are partnered, they can go with their partner or they can go with a group of friends. It's really important to be involved in a sense of community when it comes to looking at BDSM. We talk about the different language in it because it does have its own language. So for those that don't know, BDSM, the B and the D is bondage and discipline. The D and S is dominance and submission. The S and M is sadism and masochism. Sadism is where you like to inflict some type of psychological, physical response. And the masochism is where you like to receive it. There's different code words. Rack, which is risk-aware, consensual kink. There's safe words that people use. You can use the traffic light. Green means to go. Yellow is to slow down and red is to stop. There's different things that we can do as sex therapists to help people when they're wanting to engage in some other way in their sex positive to cope with pain. For people who are not, if BDSM is not saying that appeals to them, is there another way that they can explore pain control and sexuality? Absolutely. It's all about communication and it's getting creative. So if you have a partner... It is talking with them about what brings you pleasure. I always tell folks that your body is like a blueprint. Lay that out and find out the sensations that feel good to you. Communicate that. If it's your hand, if it's your leg, whatever that is, those are the things that can help bring a lot of pleasure to your body, especially if sex and penetration is out of the question. If you're someone that does not engage in kink, or BDSM. And those are the things that I recommend to my clients when we're talking about this when it comes to sexuality. Because of course, there's so many misconceptions with disability and sexuality. There's the idea that people that have disability, they are not sexual or they are told to be asexual. I have so many clients that come into my office who are constantly telling me, Dr. Phillips, I was raised in a home where I was treated like a child. And I was told that I could not be in relationships. I could not be sexual. And here I am, and I'm wanting to be sexual. Mm. And, and how so do we, someone take that first step from being infantilized into a consensual sexual relationship? We talk about what it is that they are sexual about. What do you like about sex? What defines your sexuality? How do you express your sexuality? There's a lot of research that talks about people have sexual rights and people want to be sexual. But what we're seeing on the lack in the research is how do people express themselves and how do they negotiate their needs with their partners who have disability? Mm. The way that we do that, first of all, we have to define what does sex mean to them? What does disability mean to them? We're in a culture where when you think about disability, what comes to your mind? Do you immediately think about someone in a wheelchair? or another form of physical disability, or maybe you think about other disabilities that affect the body. What does your disability mean to you? For so long, everything was a medical model. Doctors and psychologists really defining what disability is, but what does disability mean to the person that has disability? (laughs) That's an interesting question that I don't know many people who get asked that, even those of us who do use wheelchairs. 
Absolutely. What does it mean to you? Because when we look at the social model, the goal is, is to really embrace your disability. And some folks, after years of having it, and they're wanting to be sexual, they can finally get to a place where maybe they can do that. When everyone's on their own journey with it. So those are the first things that we talk about with sexuality and disability. And when you're a gender minority, that's a whole other layer. That's a, a fascinating point. I do talk to a lot of other cis women who are dealing with the concept of what is sexuality to someone who's grown up, especially those of us who grew up in the 90s, where all the rap was incredibly degrading and the ads were selling a body. So it's like, well, if you want to dress sexy, is that something that was just sold to you as what's sexy? Or do you actually find that mm. sexy? I'm just talking from personal experience, but I'm sure there's a lot of people can relate to that in their own sphere. But that is a question of what did we get told is sexy and hot and what is actually something we find sexy in and of ourselves? Yes. And by doing that, that's when you find out how much of a sexual being you are and who are you as a sexual being. We talk about what is it that you're really wanting to do and how do you explore with your body? Have you ever talked to Andrew Gerza? I don't think so. He is a queer disability activist and he suffers from cerebral palsy and he talks a lot about being in your body and identifying what is great to you as a sexual being. One of the things that comes up in my sessions is about solo sex and masturbation and different ways that you can masturbate. Getting creative with sexuality. We're so quick to go to porn. And what about erotic literature? Whatever happened to phone sex? I guess I went to FaceTime, but <laughs> I, I'm old. And just to go back to masturbation for a minute, mm -hmm. again, cis female perspective here is it was never assumed. It was actually an incredibly shameful idea, at least in the spheres that I was in growing up in the 90s was unthinkable and disgusting. There was this huge level of shame around it. And to the point that I didn't know any woman in my groups that actually knew what anything looked like or what it was until we used tampons where we got the actual yeah. grout. I had no idea any of this was there. And if you own a vagina, it's not something that's there. It's not something assumed that you're going to be touching it. So to get people past that idea of even understanding how to. And you had American Pie, which was this whole movie that was this entire like exactly. almost how-to manual for men. But the whole movie was about masturbation and how this is just absolutely the thing that happens for owners of penises. Even if you watch pornography, you're not going to generally see even female masturbation that would necessarily work. It's well, you're not. And then, that's why it's so important to talk about pleasure and what pleasure means to people and how do they explore their pleasure. It is a foundation of affirmations for people. The goal is to really find out what feels good to you as an individual other than everybody else. If you are a woman or if you are a trans person or a non-binary person, a person with disability or a person that is trans and non-binary and have a disability, I'm so glad that I can hold a space and have people that can come in who are trans and who can talk about what sex means to them and someone who is transitioning into finally another body and having gender euphoria, which of course is amazing when people can feel that about themselves. Can you um, give a quick definition for gender euphoria? Gender euphoria, it's the opposite of gender okay. dysphoria. It's being more comfortable in your body and owning your body. Sometimes it takes a while to get there and to really feel that. I have a big problem with gender dysphoria. I feel like it labels people and it gives people this idea that you are disabled and you can't be, and it puts a lot of pathology with it where yes, there can be this dysphoria about not being in the body that you want to be in. But when you label that, it's a diagnosis. 
I think we're trying to get away from that. What really is hitting me in the solar plexus is your idea of belonging in your body and your body not being a mutiny. I think anyone even without gender dysphoria has that feeling if you are chronically ill or disabled of living in something that is a mutiny. Yes, it's a great point. I get accused all the time of calling my body an it. I always third person the body. How do you get to a place where something that causes you such tremendous pain or discomfort or disassociates from gender or disassociates from what you want to be? How do you make terms with being in this avatar? You have to look at where you're at in your journey with chronic illness and disability. When people are first diagnosed with a chronic illness, there's a crisis phase. There's a rejection of you not wanting to be into your body. The second phase that folks go through is the stabilization. Some folks want a diagnosis, some do not want a diagnosis. They go into a denial and they reject their body. The third stage is this integration phase of wanting to integrate their old self into their new self. Mm. You're having to give into a new body. And that's really hard for folks. So by coming into the therapy process, and talking about the grief that happens. There's a grief that comes with chronic illness. And a lot of times that first stage is that denial factor. When you move past that and you go into this integration phase where you are integrating your old body into your new body, that's when I see people wanting to be sexual again. They have accepted where they are in their body and now they're wanting to explore other avenues of things. And one of those that comes up is sex, but I usually don't see it until they really get into that integration phase. When there is stabilization, a lot of times sex is the last thing they wanna talk about. There's a lot of low sexual desire. It takes a lot of time. I have different people that come in with different phases. They may come in where they have done the work, they've accepted their illness, they're starting to live with their new body, what they're needing to do, learning to listen to their body more, knowing when they need to take breaks, knowing when they need to set limitations. And that's where they want to explore other avenues. What are some things that someone can do if they feel like they're at a place where they're starting to get past the crisis point and they're wanting to just start to move more into being in their bodies? Is there some exercises or some things that you can think of that could help? Yeah, I recommend, this is a good classic one that John Kabat-Zinn used to do back in the day for chronic pain is doing a body scan. Knowing in your body where your sensations are and paying attention to that because it depends on the disability. Some people, they may not have sensations in places where they did. So it's being able to find that. I have one client, he uses his thumb if it were to his penis. Oh, okay. Yeah. How does that work where you're starting to like redefine where your pleasure zones are? What we do is, again, it's going back to the blueprint. I asked him to find out what feels good on his body. And his partner, who was an able person, was able to touch him in places where he felt great. And that was one place that really turned him on. And she massaged it like it were, if it were his penis. It's exploring your body. But again, it's being ready to do that. Everyone's on their own journey. But that's one exercise that I always recommend. It's going back to sensate focus, which is a type of exercise that we use in sex therapy where it's mindfulness 2.0 and you're touching the different points on your body that feel good to you with no idea of wanting to have sex. If sex is your goal, that's great. But if you're just trying to explore pleasure again for yourself and what feels good, there's a series of touching that you can do. 
That's incredible. You did the most amazing show notes, which will go up in full. But if you have some recommendations of, you talked about some literature, some erotic literature, mm-hmm. some alternatives, hopefully to Pornhub that do not <laughs> exemplify violence and underage sex. That would be awesome. I have a huge issue with Pornhub, but yeah. I have no issues with porn. It would be great if you had some of the resources. I think that'd be incredible to put up. There's two women that wrote a book on Sensate Focus. Um, Linda Widener is one of the, her names. And then there's the other person who I can't think of at this time. But if you just Google that, like the Sensate Focus book, it's S-E-N-S-A-T-E, Sensate Focus. Got it. I will have a link to that in the show notes if anyone's curious. And your book should be Yeah, I have different exercises in my book. There's a whole chapter in there on sex, reclaiming sexuality, on looking at um, what's pleasurable to you through a series of touch, but also the thought process because thoughts drive behavior. So looking at how to restructure thoughts, to be more sexual, to address the anxious thinking and the depressive thinking that comes with chronic illness. Another great book that I like to recommend for couples when you're wanting to become intimate again, is The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. It's got a series of exercises that you can do with your partner on enhancing what he calls your love maps with each other. Because in my work, I have found that most couples need to reclaim their emotional stability in their relationship after there has been a diagnosis of a chronic illness or there's a disability. And once there's this foundation of emotional stability, then they go into looking at sexuality. And he does a good job of reconnecting that. Another great book called Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks, fabulous book on looking at an unconscious partnership on why people are together and then looking at a conscious partnership. And he gives a series of exercise on how to build intimacy with partners. He's the founder of Imago relationship therapy, which is a great therapy on enhancing intimacy with your partner and how to deal with conflict. Another great book is The Ultimate Guide to Kink, Tristan Terramino. It's a great book. So you talked about media in your show notes, and I wanted to explore that because I can definitely see your point, but I was really excited when a show called Sex Education came out on Netflix, and they have a disabled character who has a sex life. They have different body types, different They go through all sorts of stuff with kink. I was wondering what your thoughts are, because I thought this is such a huge push forward in our ideas of casting, of media exposure. Oh, absolutely. Well, it goes back to the idea of the misconceptions that that people with chronic illness and disability aren't sexual. So anytime there's something that's coming out in the media and pushing the buttons, that's great. It's laying it out there that people are sexual. And that's why I do the work that I do to help people become sexual or to explore sexuality. So anytime there's a new show, which it's, (laughs) when have we had that, right? (laughs) I mean, Jillian Anderson has always been like, you know, X-Files on a hero of mine, but that show, I fell in love with that show of how they normalized everything and how nothing was shameful except cruelty. I love that you bring that up because that's what we do in therapy is we normalize things. It's okay that you're sexual. It's okay that you're having feelings of wanting to try different things or that you have a fetish if you have a kink. That's what sex positivity means. It's being open to sexuality as long as it's consensual and it's not harmful to someone. But as long as it's consent, it's pleasurable. It's something that that helps you. I mean, we're seeing a big shift now with sexuality where people are really using sex 
to help cope with certain things, with the chronic illness and disability that they have, and to be more in touch with their bodies. I did hear a rumor that like orgasm is supposed to drop pain by 30%. I have no idea if that's true or not. I like to believe it. Yes, research has shown a lot of that is a case that can happen, but also it helps your immune system too. There's a lot of pluses. I'm hoping that that also works for self fulfillment and masturbation, but I have no idea. I think the numbers should probably be about the same for that as well. It really helps for relaxation purposes when people are very stressed and they're anxious. A lot of times people, they don't really have the desire to want to have sex with someone, but they may have solo sex or masturbation because that provides them pleasure and comfort and it can help you sleep and it releases endorphins in your body. They talk about that in therapy that after they have an orgasm, they get very sleepy helps them relax and to go to bed at night. So there's a lot of great benefits of masturbation. And so Uh, many less side effects than sleeping pills. That's true. (laughs) Less side effects. Absolutely. It it really does a lot for you. And, And when you have a partner, you can get very creative with it. You communicate with your partner on what you're feeling. When you can do that and you can get to a place that brings you pleasure, well, then it's another great way to cope. We all need the most coping we can get. (laughs) Absolutely. And people are looking for different ways to cope. Mindfulness, meditation, cognitive work, doing a self-inventory of your emotions every morning when you wake up. Where are you feeling the most pain? I recommend a body inventory. If you're feeling pain in an area, how are you going to pay attention to that? That day, what do you have to do? It's okay to say no. It's okay to set those boundaries. I always talk about pacing for pain. So if you feel good one day, do not clean your entire house. (laughs) We're going to disagree on this one. (laughs) The house will never get cleaned if I don't do that. Uh, Well, I mean, you have to do what you have to do, but I think it's important to be careful because if you push yourself too much, then sometimes you're down for the count for a few days, but everyone's body's different. That's what's great about working in this field is, is that everyone is going to process things differently. That's what I love about this work and being able to help people cope with pain, but also to become more sexual. And they're finding that the more sexual I become, it helps my self-esteem. It helps me cope with my illness and disability. It helps me build connections with other people. I encourage people to join different groups. There's FetLife which is really good for the kink community. There's several different podcasts out there in different literature and books. So you talked a lot about getting people to a point where they want to have sex, but there's a lot of people who don't want to have sex or they're more into the asexual romantic. Mm -hmm. How can people who are not necessarily wanting sex, but wanting connection or maybe even not that, how can they participate in their own space? It's the idea of not being sexually attracted to people. Most of the time when someone is asexual or ace, they call it, they're not going to be. For them, they really want to build a connection with other folks who are asexual. That's why organization and clubs really help to be able to talk about that in a space. I've had folks that are demisexual, where they have to be emotionally secure with someone or have an emotional connection before they become sexually attracted to someone. Demisexuality falls on the spectrum of asexuality. What's interesting is that people that are asexual, they do masturbate. They may not masturbate to porn. They may not masturbate because they're turned on. They may masturbate because it feels, it gives them a sense of relaxation. Mm. Because you masturbate and you're asexual, it does not mean you're going to want to go out and have sex. But anytime 
I have a client that falls into that spectrum, or even if they're non-binary, I recommend getting involved in some type of group to where they can have support. Because I always ask my clients, who's your support outside of therapy? How do people who might feel very isolated or not have family or a partner, how do they find support? Well, they find support through psychotherapy. (laughs) I mean, I would recommend therapy more than anything. If you are needing support, but you're not getting that because you're far from your family, you're not close to your family, you don't have a partner, seeking a therapist can be extremely helpful. A sex therapist um, is, is great to build that connection. And the sex therapist will be able to refer you to some resources in your city or state. You can also go to the American Association of Sexuality, Educators, Counselors, and Therapists website, which is www.asect, which is A-A-S-E-C-T dot org, and you can receive various resources there as well. We have a listening audience that spans the globe, and there's not sex therapists in every country. Is This is a good resource for people who are in other areas that might not be as open. Yes, because there is a, there's a resource tab on the website where they offer literature. By the way, everyone, if you have our show notes and you didn't catch that website, yeah. it'll be at the very top. Mm-hmm. ASECT is great because, yes, it's established here in the States, but... They offer different various research literature for folks in terms of reclaiming sexuality. Also for people who can't afford a therapist, I'm sure you're aware there's a huge shortage of therapists in the United States. You have states with maybe one or two therapists. Is this a place where someone could go to find an online therapist? Is there a good resource? One one thing that I would recommend that you do is go to psychologytoday.com. You can put in the zip code where you live and different therapists will come up or If you simply put in therapists in your area, you can see what comes up. We're in an age where telehealth is becoming such a big thing. And a lot of therapists are offering their services via telehealth, which is great. You can do that if you're living in an area where you can't find a therapist. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm always just concerned about the cost for everyone because we almost went under trying to pay for therapy in the household. It's such an important thing to be able to have, but... Absolutely not as affordable. (laughs) Yeah, it's very difficult because there are a lot of therapists out there that don't take health insurance. There are some that do, but a lot of them will have sliding fee scales and some do pro bono work. I am all about a believer of helping people and I will definitely do sliding scale fees with clients if I need to. We'll come up with a payment plan, whatever can fit their needs because therapy, it's such a great place because you're talking to someone They're not a friend, they're not a family member, but they're trained in this area. They can be a great sense of support at a time where you're struggling with different things. That is uh, precisely why we keep this podcast completely free. All of it. There's nothing behind a paywall is because this is what we can do is to get information out there. So I was going through your show notes and one of the things I want to talk about was self-esteem and sexuality, especially those of us who are on new medications, which can cause dietary issues, stomach Mm -hmm. gastro issues, huge swings of weight on either side. How does this work in? A lot of people have sexual side effects due to medications and the body image. I am a therapist that is all about body acceptance and accepting yourself. I practice health at every size. So... 
what I do is work on the self-esteem and why the self-esteem is low and how do we get it back up? The way that we do that is we identify the strengths that you do have and then we run with those strengths. There are psychotherapists and sex therapists that only focus on the problem, but it's critical to look at what are your strengths? What makes you you? How do you identify with yourself? What makes you special in the world? What gives you pleasure? What causes happiness if you have that? That's critical when it comes to building self-esteem. And how do we get there? There are medications that can help ease depression. They can help with anxiety. But there's also so much more. And that's why psychotherapy is becoming the cutting edge treatment for chronic pain. Because doctors, they can only do so much. In therapy, we can talk about your feelings and your emotions and how does that relate to your sexuality and how does that relate to your pain? Just holding the space for someone to talk will really help. It goes very, very far. And in a doctor's office, you don't get that all the time. You get 15 minutes, you're in, you're out. But in psychotherapy, you're there for 45 minutes to an hour. That's a very important distinction. You actually have someone who's not just reading your chart. I have no files in my hands. I have no paper in my hands. I'm not writing in therapy. I'm listening. I'm talking. I'm helping you make decisions. I help a lot of clients with chronic illness. One of the things that we do that they love is we jot down questions that they want to ask their doctor. If I can give anyone one tip, if you have a cell phone, create a file in either your notes or your Google Keep that is just a running list of questions for your doctor. I get white coat freeze. I see a white coat. I just start freezing. I can't yes. think. So having yeah. that is so helpful. Yeah. A lot of people do. A lot of people get white coat freeze. They get very anxious. They get nervous. So when they get anxious, what happens when you get anxious? You get fight or flight. You either want to run out of the room or you want to fight it. But if you fight it, you don't know what you're going to say. So I help clients really understand their emotions as it relates to their illness and the things that they want to ask their doctors. But I have found that when people can cope with their depression and their anxiety and their sexual concerns, they're able to manage their illness a lot better and their pain better. When you're able to decrease symptoms of depression, anxiety, stress, you can manage the pain better. But when you're more anxious and you're more depressed and you're very stressed, what does that do? That can increase pain levels. And it creates low sexual desire. When you're able to focus on that and decrease those levels, then we find that people become more sexual. I know we weren't going to talk about COVID-19, but a lot of my clients with illness, they're used to being in isolation, but they're calling me and they're like, you know, Dr. Phillips, I'm really horny. (laughs) I think you're the only business someone could call and say that and it was not... (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And they're like, I really want to have sex. And I know I'm doing this whole social distancing thing, which I really call it more physical distancing because we're being sociable right now. I've ever been so social with my FaceTime wine dates with my friends. We're having FaceTime tea dates. I am more social now than I ever have been. I have my first virtual birthday party tomorrow night. This is a crazy, wonderful time for those of us who've been in isolation who are not necessarily introverted and kind of bodily forced into introversion with all of our friends home and now discovering how great FaceTime and Zoom is. (laughs) I have to admit, I'm having a difficult time. How are you dealing with it? How are you processing the the sudden... Oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking. I'm practicing mindfulness I am spending a lot of quality time with my husband. We're watching movies. 
I'm catching up on shows I used to love. I told my husband the other day, I said, I want to go to a bookstore and I want to get a novel. I don't want to get a nonfiction book. I don't want to read about sex. I don't want to read about chronic illness. I don't want to read about psychology. I want a novel that I can get lost in during this time. And of course, I go to the bookstore and I'm looking around, I'm looking at all these novels and nothing is piquing my interest. I'm like, nope, don't want to read that. That's depressing. That's too cheesy. And of course, I walk out of there with a sex book. <laughs> I ended up getting a sex therapy book. I was trying to get out of my comfort zone and do something different. But hey, I'm watching different TV shows and relaxing, taking walks. We have a lot of cases here in D.C. You know, I know California is very crazy right now with numbers too, but getting out and getting some fresh air. If you can get out and walk around and just try to find the things that are positive right now, that's what's critical during this time. But anytime you're, you're battling chronic pain and chronic illness, just trying to find those things that bring you some joy. Well, if you want a book, I just bought this book, The 10,000 Doors of January is my favorite book from here on out. I, I was a literature major. I'm a bookworm. This is the best book I've ever read. If you need a good escape from the world book that is not a sex education book, this is my favorite literature book ever. You're recommending it. Hey, I'll definitely check it out. It was my favorite escape. I had dislocated my wrist really violently at like 10 o'clock at night. And I have my iPhone, which I can just hold with one hand. And I read about 200 pages until four in the morning. I forgot about my wrist. So if it can make you forget about a dislocated wrist, she does not pay me. I'm in love with this book. Uh, I did want to go over one more thing before we go. And you talked about like the different stages of things and that there's stages you're in a survival mode. Mm-hmm. How, how can you stay connected as a couple, a couple of poly, a self? How can you stay not necessarily sexual, but still appreciating being in a body? You as a partner, as a friend, yep. not necessarily romantic or sexual. How can you keep so, either intimacy yeah. with yourself or with others? That's a great question. If I'm working with couples, I recommend check-ins. You put it on a calendar. It's not about sex. It's not about intimacy but just having a time where you check in because no matter what type of world you're living in, what you're doing, we're always on autopilot mode. If we've got children, if we have jobs, if we have a, hey, Spoonies have tons of appointments to go to. You know what I mean? So having check-ins, putting it on the calendar, hey, at eight o'clock on Friday, this is my check-in with my throttle, with my partner, with my partners. It doesn't have to be this big positive conversation. It's just, hey, What's going on? Is there something that you need from me right now in terms of support? When I work with single people, chat rooms, chat lines, friends that you can call. I do work with a lot of people who are not sexual. Sex is the last thing on their minds. They want to have a connection. We talk about that and being able to check in. It seems like right now, just talking to some friends who are separated from their spouses, either because their spouses are in the healthcare industry or they got separated by borders right now Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of that can be done via facetime or zoom is really what's gonna keep over the world right now there's skype make sure your volume is up on that because i can't figure mine out we were having fun for about 15 minutes before this started we're having fun but we figured it out technology these days right facetiming getting on there with people what we were talking about earlier one of the things that i recommend for people to do is to check out sometimes too. You want to be connected, but you also, to, to be there for yourself, don't always set with your feelings. You know, reading a good book, a novel, getting lost in it, it's a great way 
to cope with pain, to cope with depression. Those things go far too, but check-ins are critical. We have State of the Union at our house every six months or so just to make sure our values are still on point. What are we still thinking? Yeah, it's very much a State of the Union. It's not a date night. We go through what we're concerned about, issues possibly with each other or with our communication, or do we still have the same idea of what we want to do in the next five to 10 years, next 20 years? Are those still lining up? I find it really helpful to have a state of the union from both sides. I love that. I like calling it that. <laughs> it's important. The check-ins, whatever you want that check-in to be, whatever you want to call it, they're so critical to do with your partner, to do with your friends, because when you hold your emotions in and you're not processing, that's what we call flooding. It builds and it builds and it builds. And then it's like the floodgates open. But if you're doing check-ins or you're having a conversation and you're getting support, that goes so far. Do you have anything else that you wanted to cover with us? Listen to your body. The body is a foundation that helps the mind. Do that check-in every day where you're at. If you are having this bucket attitude, stay in bed if you have to. Do what you have to do. You don't have to force yourself up. That's where acceptance comes in. Accept your feelings and where you're at in the moment. Don't feel like you've got to challenge everything. I have a lot of people that come in with pain and illness and they say, I have guilt or shame because I should be doing this. I should be getting up. I I need to clean my house. I have to do this. Well, guess what? Your body's now allowing it today. So do what you have to do to get through the day. Absolutely hear that. But I will say, I hope all of you have the resources to be able to do that because I know some of you who are listening, including myself, do not have the resources to be able to listen to our bodies and stay in bed when we have to. It's wonderful. You have those resources. Take advantage of that and be grateful you have those resources. If you have resources for that. That's great. If you don't, people can always reach out to me. If you ever want to follow me on Instagram, I check my messages there. It's at Dr. Lee Phillips. Please follow Dr. Phillips. At the top of the show notes will be all the links. Follow me, reach out to me, ask me a question. I'm here for support. I'm here to help guide you. If you need a resource, let me know what you're looking for. And I will definitely try to point you in the right direction. That is an amazing and kind resource. And thank you for being on the show again. I really love having you on. It's always a treat. Thank you for having me. I always love being on here with you. Everyone, just remember the only shame is cruelty. Keep that in mind as you go through your day. This is unprecedented times. So be kind, be gentle, and be a badass in whatever way that looks like. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. This has been kind of crazy. Stay as sane as you can and get the 10,000 doors of January. Trust me, it's like ultimate escape in the world. (laughs) It's a really good winner. If you haven't watched Sex Education, please go watch that. That was fantastic. And have a great week, everyone. Uh, We are self-funded. So if you want to be a Patreon, we do have an account. We would be very grateful if you can. If that works for you, that's wonderful. If that doesn't, but you still want to support the show, sending these episodes out to your friends, family, and social media groups is really, really an act of kindness. So thanks everyone. Have a good week as possible and take care.